Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. You are codependent. So am I. So is everyone, to a degree. We are humans and we innately look for our A's from other people. Approval, affirmation, attention, acceptance. How codependent we actually are relates to how much we need those A's to feel okay about ourselves. I mean, it's nice to get them. We're human. But are we okay without them? Can we be at peace without desperately needing positive feedback from other people? Well, the answer is yes. And this show is going to discuss how. And with me is Melody Beattie. Yes, the famed author of Codependent No More. Melody is literally cited as one of the pioneers of the self-help movement. Her breakthrough book still remains the resource on codependency. And after 7 million sales, she's revised and updated it. Newsweek named Codependent No More one of the four essential self-help books of all time. Melody actually added a chapter on trauma to this revised edition, and it is on top of the bestseller charts yet once again. I couldn't be more honored to have Melody on this show, and as usual, I dig into the questions I have for myself regarding codependency. And when I asked her about her own life regrets, she flatly stated, I regret I've spent much of my life ragging on myself for not being enough. How does that hit you? This is a thoughtful, pondering discussion with Melody where her compassion for herself and others will just pour through. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast, it'd be great if you leave a review and let us know. Best thing you can do is keep the discussion going. Talk about it with someone else. You can always find me, connect with me, website or social media at kevinmiller.co. Next up is my discussion with Melody Beattie on how you can grow to becoming codependent no more. Melody, the title of this show, the podcast is called Self-Helpful. And you are one of the pioneers of self-help. So I, just, I don't know if anyone I'd want on the show more. Uh, I'm incredibly honored. Thank you for being here. I'm pleased to be here. I like your title, Self-Helpful. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, I've always really not liked that title. You know, my, my books got put in that category, self-help, self-help, self-help. Yeah. Well, I've never been able to just help myself ever in my life. I needed light to hold on to. Well, that's there we go. There's a great kicking off point here because it is. And that's one of the reasons I chose the name is there's a lot of baggage around self-help, as you know, and a lot of, I'd almost say misuse of it even and miss. Well, right there for you to say that. So is that a key aspect of the, you know, quote, self-help movement that we miss is we do think that it is done autonomously? I don't know. I, I, it is. It definitely is. Okay. The whole concept of pulling oneself up by one's bootstraps. Yeah. There's some problems we cannot, cannot, cannot think our way out of. And addictions, codependency, and other mental health, health issues fall into that category. We can't, when we're trapped in it, we cannot think our way out of it. And it's ridiculous to think we can. We need something beyond ourselves, something greater than ourselves, a force, a spirit larger than ourselves to combine with, to make our next moves in life and make sure we're on the path that we want to be on, that we're meant to be on. That to me is the very most important thing. Well, it's interesting for you to say that. It reminds me of the overcoming programs and AA that I was initially, when I heard about those programs long ago, I was intrigued that they didn't really hold a religious aspect to them, but part of AA is acknowledging a higher power. It's a very spiritual program. Yeah. 
I know some people that that couldn't, could not get sober until they got that. That they had to somehow let their spirit get engaged with what they were doing. Or it's like, it would be like baking bread without yeast. Hmm. You know, it's not going to take. Well, so it's interesting as we're on the topic of codependency, which you can get a flavor from your message that we need to be less dependent to a degree on others for certain things about ourselves. And yet you're citing right off the bat here, the need for a dependency on something greater than ourselves. Is that a fair depiction? It's pretty fair. It's pretty fair. I'm at a place in our society where I'm scared to mention the word God. Absolutely terrified of getting canceled. (laughs) But yet to deny what a factor, the spiritual aspect of my recovery is. It wouldn't have happened without my relationship with a higher power. It would not. And it would not mean nowhere I've been on my journey. Could I get and then get out of without my higher power? It just is essential. Uh, But that's me. Well, somehow you've done a, it feels like you've done a good job. I mean, you've got, I mean, the book codependent no more. And I got to be honest, Melody, when I first got contacted by your agency, I I didn't tune in right now to who you were to Melody Beattie, but when they said it's uh, codependent, no more, who doesn't know that book? Uh, I mean, it's such a prolific book and you obviously speaking of cancel culture, somehow you massaged what you just said, your belief in the need for a higher power and even God with not getting stuck in or discounted for a religious context. I can't define how you did that, but you seem to have done that well. I've been doing it my entire career. Okay. okay. Well, I. What I heard through the grapevine is the original publisher of Codependent No More almost didn't publish it because they thought I was a religious fanatic. And then how it worked out was that someone on the editorial staff, Terry Spahn, lived in the same small town I did. I was writing for the newspaper, and I was just generally, whenever I could get something in there about codependency, I would write an article about it. And he saw my writing in there, and he knew that I wasn't a fanatic, or I wouldn't be writing for the daily paper. And he was the one that instrumented the publication of that book. And Hazleton was my intentional number one choice to be my publisher 36 years ago when that book became published. I, I, it, that was my intention. I set out, I knew I wanted it. They turned it down and I thought, uh, all right, well, I'll just write for the paper. Well, but it- when Hazleton called back, I knew it was so meant to be. I knew it was so meant to be. Well, obviously, and here we are with the revised edition, 7 million copies sold. And I do want to hit some, I think we just did, but hit some other really 10,000 foot aspects of this before we dig into the details. And as I look at and read your information on codependency, which I've read before in the past, but now I've just been studying again, of course, it looks like I mean, at the root for people listening right now for this self-helpful podcast audience, I mean, we are talking about at the root pain. And if they've got anxiety, fear, frustration, those are aspects of pain. And they have those regarding a spouse, a child, a family member, a friend, another, another person, another human relationship. Would you say they are likely entangled in some aspect of codependency? I, I, before I answer that, I want to initiate one of the hardest problems I've had with being the author of this book. Please, And it is, this, I don't know how we ended up with it, but there is so much stigma. I even have it about saying, yeah, I'm, I'm codependent. Okay. You know, if I, I, I find it, it can be very embarrassing. It's not what I wanted. I mean, I, I'm grateful for it, but it was never my intention to grow up and become the queen of codependency. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. there's just something that, you know, it doesn't sound right. And yet it's what I've been led to do. So I, I, I want to downplay that word as much. We needed a word to put a label on behaviors that are very human. Yeah. It's very human to care that much 
when our child dies, when our child gets sick, when our child might be dying. It's very, very normal to get that engaged or overly engaged when our spouse is drinking up or destroying all the family resources and everyone is focused on that spouse, whether it whether it's the husband or the wife or whatever their genre may be. Um, we focused on the dysfunction and we all, I know I have my own visions of what it means to be codependent. It, it's, it's me at my bottoming out okay. where I am absolutely obsessed with another human being trying to sort out how I can control that human, how I can make them do what they want. Not for my own gratification, because by that act I'm saving my family I'm preserving the very core of my life, my family relationships. We still can't control another human. We, we can't do it. But that desire to not lose is, is a human. It's a very human feeling. So we're doing the wrong things for the right reasons, essentially, with codependency. And it's human. We need a roadmap through these emotions, through what to do when the Disney fantasy for our life doesn't come true. How do, how do I handle this? How do I find my path in this? And so we need, I just want to put that out there. It's very important well, <laughs> to I, not stigmatize ourselves okay. well, having codependency issues. As I do with the, all the shows, uh, I'm, I'm here as your student, uh, as your patient, and these are issues that I am interested in, curious about and dealing with. And that's why you're on the show. And so as you talk about that, and you do give a lot of examples of specifically alcoholism, but other things where you have, uh, especially in a marital relationship or, you know, close family intimacy, you have somebody who is doing something relatively harmful. And then you've got somebody that cares about them and it starts this codependent relationship. Is it also possible? Well, I'll just own it. I feel Melody, like I have fallen into codependency over my lifetime. And it's something I kind of adopted as a kid. And I look at even early relationships that I had with my peers, roommates, teammates, whatever. And I tended to put myself in this role of I'm there to fix everything. I'm there to do more. And I'm feeding my self-image and some voids and some issues that I have there. And so I've got to take care of everybody. And I grew into being responsible, taking responsibility, I should say, mm-hmm. for people's behaviors, for their feelings. And to some degree, I feel like I, I, I kind of became codependent. I don't know if it was so much of a cause and effect. I was the cause. Is that possible? <laughs> it absolutely is. Okay. I mean, it's, all, it's always an inside job. Okay. We have an incident, okay? It might happen when we're four, when we're six, when we're eight, when we're 20. And we have the feelings, and we don't have help processing the feelings, so we start writing our story. And the story is, I'll never, this always, you know, it's some kind of a story that then becomes our story and our way of living our lives. For many of us, that's what codependency is. Hmm. And, I mean, my codependency was set up before I married my alcoholic ex. Well, he's deceased now. Um, It had been set up, well, first, by the time I was born. I mean, I'm I'm talking about the time period I was born in, 1948. Women were just being elevated slightly from being chattel back then. Divorced women, nope. I, I came from a very abundantly Catholic state of Minnesota where getting divorced, right. making waves, rocking the boat, just it, it wasn't acceptable. Yet I had a mom, she was out there all the time making waves, rocking boats, screaming, getting in fights with people. And in, in fairness to her, as a single parent back then, she, she did a decent job raising me. She sent me to a good school. She bought me my first computer. Okay. God bless her. We're we're very happy to get crumbs when we come from a tough family situation. We're very great. I'm grateful for what my mom did for me. I owe her that much respect. She didn't have it easy. She, I mean, we need to look historically. She had seven brothers, two of them later in life, 
went to jail for being pedos. You know, I mean, it's hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And when we take that pain and make it our story, then we start writing our script for life. But we all have the power to rewrite that. We, Every one of us does. And that's what we're here to talk about. And another big question then, just to kind of give us this umbrella of what we're talking about here or how it manifests. Is being codependent, when you say somebody is co- let's take, I'll, again, I'll own it for me. So if we say that I, I am fairly codependent, am I all codependent? Meaning, am I, I in every relationship or can you be selective and say, gosh, this, you have a really codependent relationship with this person over here. You seem to function pretty well. Is that possible or is it across the board? Well, it's possible because not everyone is going to have the same level of neediness okay. in your life and will be tend to be more codependent with the needier people. Okay. And less codependent with the very self-sufficient people because they're not going to be asking that much for us. We probably won't have connected with them that much initially because if they don't need us, who doesn't want to be needed? But when we build our relationships based on that, it 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 doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, let's talk about that need. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about this. So, Melody, I've got kids ranging in age from 27 down to 10. So I'm still kind of, I've got all spectrums going here and and looking at some of my younger kids and it's been amazing to see them from birth and they come up and they primarily think well of themselves. They're in a, you know, a fairly good home, I hope. And they, they think well of themselves. And then there's that coming of age and self-awareness and social awareness. And all of a sudden you've got this kid who's kind of a bright and happy kid and you've got them and they're really struggling with their self-image and how they feel socially. And I wondered, I mean, does it begin, does some of this begin with a almost comparison. I mean, we're in such an age of comparison, but is it not until they get into school and they start taking tests and realize, gosh, they didn't do as well as their buddy did over here, or they're in athletics and they didn't come in first and they did this. And now they're seeing their lacks or that they're not Superman like they wanted to be when they were a little kid. And from that, they start having these needs, these, these deficits that they then look for filling up in another person. And is that a lot of where codependency spawns? I wish I knew. I wish I knew where the belief that we're not enough Mm. and we're not somehow fit for life. Yeah. I wish I knew where that came from because I would market it and I would give it away to every human being for free. Um, That pervasive sense of not being enough. I suspect I don't have all the answers and all the riddles about life, about how we get here, about do we come here with any baggage? Do we get it all after we come here? Uh, It's not our fault what happened to us as kids. It is our responsibility to become conscious, mindful of it, and make our best steps forward to fix it. To adjust it. And what's more important is that we're telling ourselves a proper story about our life. It's very easy to get into the darkness of the old story. That, that can be so easy. And it's just, it doesn't help us. It doesn't help others. And it doesn't help our world right now to focus on so much of the negative. I would say the primary, you didn't ask me this question yet, but I'm going to answer it. Please. Why did I upgrade Codependent No More? Why did I rewrite it? Oh, I didn't rewrite it. I didn't upgrade on most of it, but I did add some all new work to it, in particular one chapter. Yeah. And when I time traveled back to sitting in my office in Stillwater, Minnesota, writing that book, I had my outline. I had turned it in. I felt really good about it. But it came to the last chapter in the book, the chapter that's now 21. And I went, no, that something else goes there. Something else goes there. But I didn't know what it was. That, that was because I hadn't lived through it yet and suffered through it. And I didn't have the words yet. So when I sat down at the beginning of this year to write that, 
I realized I realized what it was that I didn't have a handle on and couldn't write about helpfully and codependent no more. And that is trauma and anxiety. I believe that I believe if there's any cultural problem right now that we have, it is trauma and anxiety. If I could get everyone a gift other than codependent no more, a gift, I would give them each the gift of learning to meditate. Mm. I mean, proper meditation and then do it every day, 20 minutes. I don't know any any other way to get through these times right now. I read, I read an interesting article yesterday. Uh, it was about anxiety is um, contagious. I believe from 9-11 on in our country, I believe we started national and international global trauma at a level that has just grown and built ever since then. Now I'm not I'm not a statesman, I'm not a politician. I do think of myself more as a spiritual journalist. And I traveled all over the world. There's so much anxiety and trauma with people being afraid to say the wrong wrong words. People don't even want to talk to each other anymore. They want to they want to scream at each other. They want to holler. They don't want to hear what the other person is saying. We've gone a bit off. And I don't know any other way. You don't start by just doing something new. You have to start with a reset. We need to start with a reset. I, I think COVID did that for a lot of people. I know it was a step up for me, <laughs> which will make more sense to my next book. But um, I found it very comforting to have societal permission to slow down, to stay at home, to meditate, to be quiet, to consider what it is I wanted to do, to consider who I wanted to spend time with, who I wanted to see. I mean, I might not be able to see him except on a, on a, on a FaceTime call, but I really appreciated that time of going within. Let me ask. So- well, on again, on codependent and even that, because you continue to ca- talk about connection with people. And I just want to really uncover yeah, how you are defining codependency. And with this, because I can generally look at it as somebody who can be fairly introverted and autonomous and say, okay, I don't want to be codependent. I will just be completely independent. And yet in that, I can very easily miss the need for relationships. Right. It's just the other side of the coin. You know, it's, it's not oh, necessarily thank you. Okay. a good thing. So in that though, is it fair to come over here and say, and, and this may be elementary, but I, I'm an elementary guy to look at it and go, I need to be in a relationship, but I don't need to be there to fill my voids or fill the ones that only I or God can fill. And my thought was going to the, the A's. You know, the affirmation, the acceptance, the approval, the things that I find that when I am doing in my codependent relationships, when I am doing X, Y, Z, and I'm wanting certain reciprocity, I'm wanting that appreciation, I want Mm -hmm. that acknowledgement, I want that affirmation, that's where I've gone wrong. Can I be in a relationship? Can I give? And can I do that? with no, in a sense, no strings attached. I don't need them to fill me up. I need to be in a relationship, but I don't need them to fill me up. Is that a fair layman's look at this? That's a very good point. We all, we're all a vessel. We're like a cup. Okay. And we hold different energy, different energies at different times. But if we're coming into a relationship and our cup is empty, you know, it, it it can be a bit much. It can be a bit much for us. We don't know our cup is empty. We don't know we're trying to fill it. We're just grasping to fill ourselves up. I, I'm going to go back to meditation. Okay. We need to find out. It's an inside job. And we need to go inside and find out what we've got going on in there in order to be in a relationship and come at least with a half full cup. I would, def- if, if you were going to ask me to define codependency, I would say it's systematically loving others more 
than we love ourselves to their and our detriment. Hmm. It's that simple. Well, hold on, right? Because right there, let's get religious then with that. Because there's a, I come from a, a Christian religious con, such construct where that isn't. It's die to self, serve others, just pour out. And I feel but like that's not true. That's not true. Okay. What does it say in the commandment? It says, love others as we love as ourselves. As we love ourselves, true. It doesn't say, love others and then hate yourself. We can only bring to others what we have in our cup. And if our cup is empty or only half full, we're not bringing a full human, a full spirit. I mean, it's very simplistic, but it served me well. Well, obviously. And, and I mean, looking at this, I kept coming back, Melody, as I was studying the book, at self-approval. Can I be, in and of myself, approving, like you said, just okay with me and not needing that from another person? And I think it's easy to say, but it almost feels, it, it, it just can feel impossible. Like that is where we get our affirmation. That is where we gauge ourselves is other people. And it feels, it can, can it feel almost impossible to back off of that and be in relationship with others, but I don't need them. I'm, I'm self approving because we are in relationship. We all are. And we, we, we can't help but not, but care. I know ever since it was monkeys, I mean, people, people gather in groups, they watch the other monkeys to find out what they should be doing to belong. Um, being part of groups and being part of social groups is yeah. a huge part of being human. Um, yes, it's possible. It's nice to get that bit of approval. Yeah. It's also nice to get rid of ego. Because ego is different than self-esteem. Ego and narcissism are very, very different than self-esteem. Self-esteem is quieter. It's gentler. It's more humble. It's, um, it's sweeter. It's softer. And we don't have to go around screaming as much either. Let me ask you about that then. So, of course, it, it would be, we'd all have to admit, does it feel good to get the A's? And I'll add applause in there. Applause, affirmation, accolades, uh, accept it. Does, it. does it feel good? Well, of course it does. Is there then, can we look at that with health then? Because the other side, when you say that, that we, we don't need to, we need to get to a place where we can own that for ourselves. It's an inside job, as you said. But when we get it, aren't we, it feels like we're also missing it. Maybe like you said, the other side of the coin, if we get those and we deny them. Isn't that kind of that false humility to go just to no, I'm not, I don't just to put it off. Now I don't want your acceptance. I don't want your approval. I won't accept it that, that we're missing it there as well. We can nod at it. We can say, thank you. Okay. But if it becomes our all, if we have to have it in order to feel good about our work, our personhood, our parenting, any of it, then we're in trouble because we're automatically delivering agency to another human or source outside of ourselves. If they say I'm bad, I'm bad. If they say I'm good, I'm good. That 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 is what it's going to make us crazy if we yeah. start looking for it. It's hard to get to that place where we can go, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay with things. But, or give ourselves permission to be okay when things are messy. Give ourselves permission to be okay with ourselves, with our life, and with not knowing. We have such a hard time saying, I don't know in our country, in our world right now. And there's so many things we don't know. And half the things we think we do know, we don't really do it. In the end, we're in the process of learning. Yeah. You make some statements somewhere in the book. It might even have been in the intro. To me, they were incredibly, uh, I was going to say compelling, but really convicting and it had to do with our propensity, those of us who display these codependent tendencies, uh, to try to control the world. Well, d- let's just start there. Just control. Uh, again, you're studying your book, studying your material. It just brought me to my own looking in the mirror and look at my efforts to control mm-hmm. the things around me, the people around me, and generally my propensity to do that so that I feel okay. 
I want you to be happy. I want you to be at peace so that I can be at peace. Because if you're not, then I can't. And so it's this effort to control you to get what I need. And I have been, Melody, I see you smile. I've been stuck in this. I've done it with my wife. I've done it with my kids. I've done it with with friends as opposed to stepping back. And the book I'm reading right now is called Letting Go and, and Letting Go and yet still caring. Mm. Go ahead. All right. This is rather simplistic, but I'm going to take people down into two groups. Okay. There's people that create codependence and there's the codependence. Okay. <laughs> the people that abuse, destroy, and the people that want to create and help make better and soothe. Some of us have good reasons for wanting to control others. Some people have negative intentions. It doesn't matter. We cannot ever, no matter how hard we try and no matter how much we do, can't control anyone. And it won't make us happy when we do. We're never, ever, ever going to be any happier when we get what we thought we want than we were, than we are right now, right now, this moment in time. Getting something, getting someone to do something isn't going to change us or change our state of being. It's very understandable we'd all be terrifically into controlling right now because it's it's also a natural inclination when things feel out of control yes, yeah. around us. Very few of us can sit and watch our whole world falling at our feet and go, oh, I don't care. And I don't know that that would even be normal or helpful. But we do need to acquire a great deal of letting go as we walk through our days. And the place where we can think our way out of difficulties is before reacting or responding, asking ourselves, how do I want to respond? Is this my business? Is it my job to do this? If I could say what I really felt in my heart, and sometimes that's just a plain no. I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry you're having that problem, but I can't help you. I, I wish you the very best. Most of us have this living with living with controversy can feel like we've been sentenced to hell for many of us. If we've got someone really upset with us, if we've got a controversy that we can't smooth over, if someone is just insisting on being an ass, that can be very hard for our constitutions to live with that kind of controversy. It's also a real test of our ability to live in self-love for ourselves, to be able to go, all right, I'm, I'm having this conflict right now. I'm not going to take it on myself. It's, it's a cloud. It's a cloud in the sky, and it's going by. And this is what I want to do to handle it. This is what I feel guided to do to handle it. Some of us are so terrified of living with controversy mm-hmm. or living with anyone upset with us or angry at us or just not liking us. It can be very difficult, can it? Uh, yes, I can speak to that because that's me. Uh, Melody, <laughs> I, I, I am I'm incredibly uh, conflict averse. I want everybody happy with me. I'm inc- I can't. I I have struggled, and I, I'm I'm a work in progress right now. I have struggled so much with being okay with somebody not being okay with me. It's 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 very difficult. And to what you also said, is it my job asking that? Is it my job in a relationship to? My word I, I continually use is responsible, to be responsible. And I have been a, uh, a husband and a father who has, out of good intent, I think, good heart, I really do want to serve, and I want those affirmations and approvals, and I want those things. And I have jumped in to fix and take care of, and I was going to say enabled, I've kind of disabled to some degree, disabled my some of my kids from growing and strengthening and learning how to do things on their own and to have consequences. And it's interesting as I have older kids that I did that more with, and now I have younger kids that I don't. And I just step back for the most part. And unless they ask, I, I step back. And I probably do about 25% of the work that I used to because they don't need me. It's amazing how, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it is busy work. And, and, 
the greatest harm we can do, there's two great harms we can do with our kids. We can totally neglect them. Hmm. Or we can stop them from learning legitimate consequences to their own behaviors that results in them having a sense of that by the time they're 20. 2021. It should be a growing sense from the time of age 12 on. This is my responsibility. This is what's going to happen in life when I don't tend to my responsibilities. If we take that on, then we're living two people's lives, aren't we? But yet, with our children, it's so normal. We don't want them to fail. We don't want them to hurt. We don't want them to suffer. And being codependent on our kids is a natural part of life that we gradually let go of by the time they're 12. I mean, if we're still putting diapers on our kids and doing everything for them when they're in um, middle school, we're in trouble and so are they. Well, it's funny, Melody. I'm sitting here thinking about kids and I had someone tell me, well, the story was I, 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 that I witnessed was being at somebody's home. I was a kid and seeing mm. them harp and harp on, on their little kid, trying to protect them from the the wall outlets. Okay. The electric outlets. And they had the little covers in there and little kids going over and they're just, it was some, I get the kid was enamored with them, I guess, and trying to keep them out of there. Meanwhile, at my house, there were no covers on there. My little brother goes over there, toddles over there with a key and sticks the key in there. Shocked the bejesus out of him. And guess what? Never did it again. Never did it again. No, that's probably not the best way to let them learn, but it is a natural consequence. And that's what we need to prepare our kids for. So by the time that they do get that shock, they know what they've done to create it. Yeah. It was the and brilliant concept of do I house proof or do, do I, do I child proof the house or, or house proof the kid? And uh, yeah, so I didn't go along letting my kids get shocked, but it did, it did change that to help them with some consequences. Yeah. And, and that it's, no one wants to see their kid go through consequences. I True. mean, that's that's very hard, and yet it's very much a part of life. They're not ours. Yeah. Um, you said something else earlier that I really like too, and it you you talked about being of service. I I don't think we should automatically write off every impulse we have as being a codependent need to control. There is something healing helpful and regenerating about finding ways to truly be of service in the world around us, helping people where we can give something that's needed, that we have something to offer that's beneficial. And the key is we want to do it. We feel in accord. We feel aligned. And I like what you said earlier, too, about does this go along with my values? You know, is it in alignment with my values? Is it where I want to give? Is it what I want to do? And then just give our little hearts out, you know, with no hope of getting pats on the head. I mean, we should be able to give our own pats on the head for being of service. We shouldn't need. Thank yous. And that's where I continue to try to learn melody. And it's the question. Well, you came back to, you said, we, you also said, we've got to be aware before we react, we need to be there, be present and have a healthy response. When I do that, I go from being a consummate. Yes, man. Somebody asked me something, do something. Yes. And now I'm getting better. Uh, I don't know where I am on the spectrum, but getting better of stopping and, and going, how is my heart? Am I doing this and kind of gritting my teeth or am I happy to do it? And if I'm mm. not happy to do it, I'm not helping them. And so either change my attitude, figure out why I could be grateful to do X, Y, Z, or as you said at the beginning, sometimes actually saying no is better for both of us. And oh my gosh, that's like a different language than I've ever had. It's pretty scary too. It, is. it can be very scary. Especially for someone conflict averse as I am as, as well. Mm -hmm. But I see a lot of people in that boat. Well, we can feel afraid and do it anyway, you know? Yeah. Well, I do know that I'm, I'm learning to walk that out. I'm only saying that because right before our interview, I had um, a phone call about someone wanting me to, do something for him. And I just, I, I said, I've got to go potting. I don't have time right now. Um, but I, I knew what he was calling for and I knew what my answer is and it's no. Yeah. 
And so I immediately went into a little bit of meditation. It's like, get, you know, just open your mouth, say it. That's what you want to say. So it, it doesn't ever, at least for me, it doesn't become 100% natural. Um, maybe that's why they call it recovery. I don't know. But if it's my intention to not sabotage myself, I won't be sabotaging myself. Not not as much. Nope. Nope. Well, nope. it feels like you're calling us to hold that aspect of, yes, we do want to serve others. And there is beauty and glory in that, but not at the sake of ourselves and our own health and wellness, that that doesn't, one plus one doesn't equal two there. Yeah. Do you, I mean, would you want someone helping you if the whole time they were going, oh, Jesus, I don't want to do this. this is just, I mean, it's not pure help. It's not good help. Huh. No, that's incredibly convicting. No, I I absolutely do not want anyone doing anything for me begrudgingly uh, or being a martyr. I do not. And yet I absolutely do that to other people. That doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense. Which comes to some of your statements. Uh, I pulled out a bunch of them, Melody, from the book. And you said it was kind of as you're, I think you're dawning of this. And you said, I saw people, you gave a bunch of statements, but I saw people who felt responsible for the entire world, but they refused to take responsibility for leading and living their own lives. Their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember writing that. You said a bunch of those. I I saw people who felt responsible for the entire world, or or I saw people who constantly gave to others, but didn't know how to receive. I'm coming to believe a lot of that is our state of mindfulness, too. Okay. Has anyone ever told us it's okay to receive? Have we had any practice with that? How are we going to get it? What would it feel like? I mean, it, we ju- we don't have a mindset that even includes that for many of us. And But the beauty, the absolute beauty of this path is that it's a living, vital path. It's not something carved out of stone in a book. We each have what I call a path to well-being through life and we may stop at similar places now and again but we each have a very distinct path and that includes who we're going to be in relationship with where we're going to live what we're going to do for a living how that's going to change over the years what we're going to do when we lose everything we have and how we're going to come back i mean those are just a few of our challenges and at some point, we can start trusting this path to well-being, too, and say, well, I, d- I don't know it all today, but it's okay if I don't know it. Yeah. It's okay if I'm working on this stuff. If it, 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 it's just okay. We don't have to be nearly, 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 nearly as perfect as we think we do in order to be enough. I want to pull out another statement that you make, and... It's going to be, I'm going to try to say it well, because it's a controversial area when we're looking at gender and roles that we have. But you said, because I'm going to say a statement you did and add something to it and, and, and get your take on it. You said, I worked with women who were experts at taking care of everyone around them, yet these women doubted their ability to care for themselves. And I'm going to add on, and their propensity was to then look for care from their spouse, their husband, look, look for it from a man. Meanwhile, you've got men who try to be experts also at taking care of everything around them, commanding the ship and not only didn't take care of themselves, but believed against it. I'm not going to the doctor. I don't need anything. I'm here to be a super macho. I'm macho. Yeah. So, so we have both sides doing it very poorly and possibly out of good intent to serve others. But it's still that controlling and taking care of at the sake of self. And you said women who don't believe they had a, the ability to care for themselves and men who were rejecting the concept of taking care of myself because that's weak. I know. And I was working with a hardcore group. Most of the women, and, and I talked about women, was because the person they were codependent on was in prison for the first, second, third, fourth time. I started working with a very hardcore group of people, which was probably good 
yeah, it's it, it's it's a it's a messy subject. Life is messy. We keep trying to make it neat and perfect. It's not, and we are going through huge, humongous changes in looking at relationships and defining our sex, the nature of relationships, who we're going to let be in relationships with each other, what relationships we're going to honor, which ones we're going to respect. It's all been thrown up into the air. And meanwhile, I'm going to pull another quote that you said. You said, I saw mere shells of people. And this is something you wrote a long time ago that is, as you said, it may be, it's not only as relevant today, it may be more acute today than ever. You said, I saw mere shells of people racing mindlessly from one activity to another. I saw people pleasers, martyrs, stoics, tyrants, withering vines, clinging vines, and borrowing from uh, H. Sackler's line in his play, The Great White Hope, pinched up faces giving off the miseries. And Melody, I do. I find myself looking at others and sometimes looking at myself in the mirror and saying, we're not having fun. What, what are we doing? What's the point? Is this, is this really what, to come back to God, is this what God made me for? And if I, I'll tell you to look at it from a parental view with my kids, is my hope for them that they would have pinched up faces giving off the miseries or, or would I hope that they would, I was just, I had all, a bunch of my kids, a majority of them together this weekend. I, they're at the house and I am reveling in their joy. And their fun and their joy of the food and the drink set out before them, the games, the laughter, the that's what I want for them. I don't want them in there all laboriously with pinched up faces. It doesn't make sense. Is we that want, the point? We want them letting their light shine, don't Thanks. we? Kids naturally let their light shine. Hmm. For some reason, we've learned to diminish our light over our lifetime. And that's one of our larger jobs is learning to humbly and quietly let our light shine on this planet. And that uh, that includes joyously doing what we're doing, having fun, or when we don't feel good, openly crying or saying, no, I don't want to do that right now. I'm not feeling good enough. It feels like a tension of the letting go. We talked about that earlier and how to do that without completely letting go. And I don't want to, uh, with all due respect, I'm going to use the concept of the, the, the monk solitary on a mountaintop all alone, not a care in the world, totally at peace. It sounds great, but I'm not going to be that guy or, or, or guy. Well, he's at peace because he doesn't, I want to tell you a story about a monk in a monastery in Tibet okay. that I met. Um, I was over there for three months with a hiking partner. This was like, the biggest mountain we were climbing and we got, it was so cold. It was colder than it was in Minnesota. And we got to the top of this mountain and then a guide, our guide led us into the monastery and we walked through all these hallways and upstairs and down more hallways. And then we got to the monk's room and the dude was laying, (laughs) the dude was laying on, on a top mattress over uh, like a bed of coals. It was all done appropriately. And he was smoking pot, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, he had his, you know, he had his thing working for him. And it made me laugh. It made me smile. We have all these visions in our mind of other people being so much more appropriate for life than we are. Hmm. Knowing what to do. Executing those desires meticulously, and having these perfect families, and and that that we need to get all those Disney ideas out of our head because that's not really how our world works, is it? It's not. And to take the monk like that, I'm thinking yeah, it's great. There's there's literally no pressures. If that guy's going to go get married or have a significant other and be in an intimate relationship, if he's going to have kids, there's going to be some pressures that are probably going to violate that harmonious time on the mountain. Now, on the other side, I don't want to be the consummate American who is not present for a solitary second as they're busy and harried. I want to be, well, I don't know. Is that, do I want to be somewhere in the middle or is, are we talking about, no, I want, I want to be something else entirely. Well, that's what the Buddhists say, a middle road. Okay. A middle road with all things. Well, that's the effort then, is to find that middle road of not having this. You know, it's interesting, as we talked about God at the beginning of the show, how often is that a 
predominant aspect of the codependent to have somewhat of a God complex. And it came up in a show recently, even the thought of how arrogant is it to think that one, I can control so much. And then two, that I should that, yeah, that we even know what's best for another human being mm-hmm. when the majority of us rarely know what's best for ourselves without serious thought and deliberation. Yeah. 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 That, that I could, how arrogant of me to think that I know to think, and, and also, and this is a hard one, especially as a spouse, as, as a parent to think, I, I don't want to diminish my role and diminish my responsibilities. And yet if I step back and go, you know, if I got wiped out, would there be some trauma in the family if I disappeared from death or whatever? Yes. Mm-hmm. W- would they all end up homeless in the gutter? No, probably not. They'll survive. And again, to somehow carry the tension of the gravity of what I do, but also, again, I'm, I'm not God. I, um, I really learned that when my son died mm-hmm. on his 12th birthday. Because he was okay, but I wasn't. Even my daughter knew. I mean, everyone expected me to be okay after his death. And uh, my best friend even said, oh, she said, you'll be over this in a couple couple months. And I knew when when we were in the hospital room and I turned the life, I, I was with the nurse when she turned the life support off because he was brain dead. Hmm. I knew it was going to be at least 20 years before I could breathe again. At least this, this was no two week, two month, two year. It was going to be two decades before I could function. Yeah. So the truth is we sometimes need others much, 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 much more than they need us. Well, and how to do that healthfully is the point of your book. Well, to do it the best we can without inflicting injury on others and without inflicting unnecessary injury on ourselves. The truth is we've made life much harder for ourselves than it has to be much, much harder by all this extra caretaking. Well, the trauma and anxiety that you talk about that you added into this revised aspect. um, There's some pieces, even on meditation and uh, you know what, let's tackle them in, in part two of our talk together, Melody. Uh, Thank you. Friends, you can find Melody Beattie's revised and updated edition of Codependent No More wherever you find books and connect with her at MelodyBeattie.com. And do yourself and all the relationships you care about a favor. Get the book and share this podcast episode. Hey, thank you, as always, for choosing to tune in to the Self-Helpful Podcast. Best thing you can do, share what you've heard today with someone else. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others.